0: Tonight I was gonna use a stool. I, just because I saw somebody on TV doing that. And I thought, look, look how effortlessly they they teach. They just sit there on that stool and just and I thought, I'm gonna do that. So I asked Pastor Brennan to grab a stool and Kathy heard me. And she said, You're not gonna stay in that stool. You'll be up and moving around in no time. And I said, No, I won't. And in five minutes I thought it through. She's right. She knows me best. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to stand. We'll stand, just like we sang. So let's, let's pray tonight over the Word of God. We've got some great stuff to share. It's very incredible. Uh, this chapter is just amazing. God's Word is amazing. And so we're going to look at some things that are, that are really hard to believe. You can't make it up, but it's here. So uh, let's, let's uh, bow. Father, we just thank you for your Word tonight. We thank you for the very Word of God. We thank you for this book of Revelation that you have given to us that we would understand the times and the seasons and not be taken unaware. So, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us tonight, make us wise in the Word of God. Can you just lift your hands up towards the Lord and say, Lord, make me wise in the Word of God. Make me wise in the Scriptures. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight yes. and for giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand, and faith to receive it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's going to be good tonight. You're going to be glad you, came. Good glad you came. Several times tonight, We're going to have graphics on the screen for you, right, right, guys? All right. Now, in your book, we're on page 112, and I believe that's chapter 11. I know we're in chapter 11 tonight, but I think 112 is in chapter 11. Okay, so page 112, and uh, we're in Revelation 17, one of the key chapters in the book of Revelation. So 112 in the book, chapter 17, Revelations in your Bible. Last time we were together, we talked about the harlot church. You Remember that? Where, that John describes in chapter 17, verse 3. And I'm going to read that verse again in just a moment because we find out much more than just about a harlot church in verse 3. But here's what we saw regarding that harlot church. The, the harlot church of the tribulation. Is comprised of a a conglomeration of different faiths. And follow this very carefully because it's happening all around us right now. It's going to be comprised of apostate Christian churches. Now, John called it a harlot. Remember, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you read the prophets, just go through Jeremiah and listen to him rail against their spiritual adultery. He tells Judah, over and over again for most of his adult life. He warns them. If you don't quit committing spiritual adultery with these idols, with Baalism, with the, the, this idolatrous worship, then God's going to judge you and you're going to lose everything. And they didn't listen and they lost everything. So when you get the whole warp and woof in the Bible and you see that that, that much of God's burden all throughout the Old Testament, his issue with his people is you keep worshiping idols that can't see, they can't walk, they can't talk, they can't help you, they can't answer prayer, and yet you, you keep turning to them. What's the matter with you? It's the voice of God all the time. But they kept on doing it. And finally they lost everything, went off into um, captivity for 70 years in the land of Babylon. Now, again, here in Revelations, we've got God identifying a harlot church, which means a church committing spiritual adultery, not worshiping the true God. They're called a church, but they're not a genuine Christian church at all. They're fake and they're phony. I'm reminded of the words of Paul when he described this kind of church. He said, having a form of godliness, they look godly, they seem godly, but they deny the power thereof. They look good, they seem good, they sound good, but they're fake, they're phony, they're fraudulent. So we will have apostate Protestant churches in this harlot church. The Catholic church, apostates, will be in this super church, this harlot church. And no doubt about it, a plethora of New Age religions all combined to form one super church. let me tell you, these New Age religions, this New Age gobbledygook that's so prevalent in our day right now, uh, a lot of New Age thought systems have made their way into many churches. What they talk about and what they teach aren't biblical at all. It's spiritual harlotry. It's falsehood. And so you, you see the makings of this apostate harlot church right now. And I could give you example after example. I could name names. I don't do that, but I could. Some of you, you watch some of them. You listen to some of them. And you don't know your Bible well enough to spot a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I'll tell you, to me, one of the the, the great weaknesses of the Western church right now is the Western church is devoid of discernment. First, First John 4.1, he said, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but try the spirits. Test them to see whether they be of God. You tell me one Christian you know that does that. Uh, you, you turn on so-called Christian TV, some of it's Christian, some of it isn't, and you listen to things that if you knew your Bible, you would throw a shoe at that TV. You don't have any discernment. I tell you, in love. And 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 out over the radio, some of you listening, you don't have any discernment. If you knew your Bible really well, you would shut some things out of your life right now. This super church that's going to arise and emerge more and more strongly as the last days progress is going to support Antichrist. And will likely be led by well, no doubt will be led by his false prophet, who is a religious figure. Remember, the antichrist is a political leader. His false prophet, his his John the Baptist, the one who points to him and says, "You need to follow him and listen to him and let him be your answer." This false prophet is a religious leader, and the Bible says he he looks like a lamb, but he talks like a dragon. He looks real, but what he says is inspired by hell. Now, John also mentions a second character in verse 3. Not just the harlot church, but a second character called the scarlet beast. Now, Revelation 17, 3. Here we go again. Let's read it. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman, that's the great harlot, sitting on a scarlet beast, that's Antichrist and his system. Then he says, This scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Don't want any of that throw you. I'm going to explain it. The second character presented is a scarlet beast. Now, catch this. The scarlet beast is seen carrying the harlot. So the harlot is riding this scarlet beast. This beast, the scarlet beast, the Antichrist and his system, has seven heads and ten horns. Now we're going to look more closely at, uh, at the, this beast in verse 7, but let me just finish up with the harlot because it's very important we understand this harlot system because, like I said, you're being, uh, you're being um, approached by a harlot system that has infiltrated much of the church right now. So, the woman, the great harlot, he goes on to describe her, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. The, The harlot at first appears to be beautiful, richly dressed in royal colors, bedecked with jewels. So she is outwardly, this harlot church, outwardly impressive, pomp and splendor and money. And sort of a magnificent gate. However, there's a very dark side. <clears throat> John sees that she has in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Look at how he describes her insides. <clears throat> you know, sometimes a beautiful face hides a devil, and, and sometimes a handsome face hides a devil. Let me just balance that out. <clears throat> but, but here, a, a beautiful exterior is hiding a demonic interior. On the outside, she's impressive, but on the inside, she's thoroughly corrupt, filled with abominations. Now then, there's a third mystery that enters the vision regarding the harlot. John sees something on the harlot's forehead. Here we go with the forehead again. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now in Scripture, as we've already gone over in this series, Babylon always pictures rebellion against God, false religion, and the pride of man. Whenever you hear Babylon in the Bible, it's never good. It's never good. The the genesis of Babylon reaches all the way back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. Now listen about the Tower of Babel. The the Tower of Babel was not built for, for the worship and praise of God. Nimrod and all the people of that day were not building a tower to reach into the heavens to give praise and honor to God. That's not what it was for. It was dedicated to the glory of man with a motive for making a name for the builders. Listen to Genesis 11 verse 4. Then they said... Nimrod and his company, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. For who? Anytime you're doing something to make a name for yourself, you're going down the wrong road. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God and you'll be blessed. If you do it for the glory of you, it's probably going to fall apart. But they they said, "Let's, let's make a name for ourselves. So spiritual Babylon represents man's pride, rebellion, and the destruction that always accompanies a departure from God. So he says, on the harlot's forehead is a name that represents rebellion against God. Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Not just the harlot, but the mother of harlots. So this system represented by the harlot is exceedingly wicked and universal in its reach and scope and influence. Now next, John elaborates on the evil character of the harlot. He describes her. Here's the inside of this this woman. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, verse 6. So not only is the great harlot evil in her influence, but she's also literally drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Her lips are stained with martyrs' blood. So catch this, church. This phony, fraudulent, apostate super church has been martyring the real church. She's drunk with blood from the real saints. So there's going to come a time in the days of the Antichrist and in the tribulation where there is going to be what what people call a super church, but this super church is going to be responsible for persecuting and slaughtering real Christians, and I believe Jews as well. And John is stunned by this. He, He says, wow, when I saw her, he didn't say, wow, I said that. And when I saw her, John says, I marveled with great amazement. That's King James for wow, okay? I marveled with great amazement when I saw this this harlot, okay? Now, you're probably wondering who is this harlot and the scarlet beast that carries her. Well, John receives the answer in verse 7. It reads, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. Which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So here we go. We're about to have this explained for us. First, the angel identifies the origin of the scarlet beast having seven heads and ten horns. Verse 8 reads The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. Now, follow me carefully. According to John, the scarlet beast that is riding the harlot then disappears, or first it exists, it is, it exists, then disappears, then reappears again. And John gives a clue as to what this means. He says, verse 9, this calls for a mind with understanding. This is what we prayed for when we started this tonight. We're going to have an understanding mind. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. Seven hills. Most Bible scholars believe that this is clearly talking about Rome, the famous city of seven hills. The scarlet beast is Roman follow carefully church Roman in its origin. The scarlet beast comes from Rome. John is telling us that Rome, the Rome that existed when he wrote the Revelation, because Rome was alive and well, Nero was the emperor when he wrote this, that, that this Rome would first exist, then it would disappear And then it would reappear at some time in the future. So here's what John is predicting. A resurrected Roman empire. Not the same buildings, not the same laws, not the same language, but a resurrection of the culture, a resurrection of the character with which it is described in the Bible. So where does the scarlet beast come from? Rome. The scarlet beast John saw originates in Rome. Very important. Keep that in mind. Now, at this juncture, we we need to pay a visit to the prophet Daniel because it's very difficult to make sense of this part of Revelation without Daniel. Daniel predicted the rise and fall of four world kingdoms, and the fourth one was Rome. And this is one of the great evidences the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible you hold in your hand is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the only book on earth that didn't come from the earth. But all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, and we know the rest. So this is one of the great evidences, the the, the prophecy of the Bible. Here's Daniel. He's in captivity in Babylon, and, and, and suddenly Nebuchadnezzar, who is holding them them captive, who is the king of Babylon, has a dream. Daniel foresaw in Daniel 2, verse 40. We're going to get to the dream in just a moment. In Daniel 2, 40, Daniel foresaw that Rome would be strong as iron, that kingdom Rome, the kingdom of Rome, will smash, he said, and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. He saw Rome coming way before Rome was. Daniel's vision proved to be so accurate, it demands we look more closely at his amazing description of the not yet existent Rome. Now, here's where it all began. One day, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar Had a dream that disturbed him and perplexed him, bugged him, and he called for all the wise men in his kingdom. And he said, You've got to tell me what this means. And they said, Well, tell us the dream. He said, Ah, no, no, no. If you're a real prophet, then God will give you the dream and its interpretation. Well, none of them could do it. Because not only could they not have interpreted the dream, but they had not a clue what he dreamed. He said, You're going to have to tell me the dream and then its interpretation he really turned the screw. And they said, "Hey, nobody can do this." But without knowing any details, Daniel said, "O king, I will tell you the dream and I will interpret the dream." And he says in Daniel 231, "You, O king, were watching Now, how did Daniel know this? How did Daniel know what he dreamed? Especially when you hear the dream, no way you pull this out of a hat. He's going to tell him a dream that you could have sat around for a million years. None of us would have thought of it. But he says, you, O king, you were watching, and behold, there was a great image. Here's the image right up there on the screen. Behold, a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. Now, as I read these, you look up at the image, and we're just going to go down the image. This image's head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze or brass. Its legs of iron. And its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, the picture on the screen in your book shows you this very thing. Shows you those kingdoms, who they were, and when they ruled. And folks, three of them came after Daniel died. So you got Daniel prophesying kingdoms that are going to come and go, kingdoms that are going to rule the world and then pass away. Everybody say only God could show him that. Because by the time he's describing nebuchadnezzar's dream to him nebuchadnezzar is completely freaked out he is completely rolled over he cannot believe it he's stunned he's shocked because daniel nailed it right down to the feet now daniel explains the dream He says, okay that's your dream now let me give you the interpretation verse 36 he says now we will tell the king what it means your majesty you are the greatest of kings The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He's made you ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. The head of gold was the king of Babylon. This was a compliment to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, just so you'll know a little bit of history, Babylon ruled the world with an all-controlling, efficient, and powerful government for more than 80 years. But that's it, 80 years. This huge kingdom that, that took Jerusalem into captivity, they only lasted 80 years. Everybody say to me, kingdoms come kingdoms. and kingdoms go. And God knows when they're coming and God knows when they're going. And that includes the U.S. of A. So Babylon ruled from about 625 to 539 B.C. And Daniel predicts its demise with the rise of another kingdom. Daniel 2.39, but after your kingdom comes to an end, Nebuchadnezzar, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. And we remember how that happened, don't we? Remember when Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, had a feast Oh, this is one of the great stories of the Bible. Belshazzar has a feast, and he he is a blasphemous, godless man, and he he gets the sacred uh, utensils, the sacred bowls, and the sacred goblets from the temple and fills them full of wine and has a drunken orgy party. And right when they're in the middle of wah-ha-ha and having a great old time, suddenly a hand appears. And it starts writing on the wall. Meanie, meanie, tekel, you parson. And it says when Belshazzar, even though drunk, sees this, it says his knees began to knock. I think mine would begin to knock too if a hand appeared and started writing on a wall. And he said, I need the interpretation of this thing. And nobody could do it. So guess who they called? Daniel, God's man. And Daniel walks in. And he said, if you will interpret this for me, I'll give you riches, I'll give you this and you that. Daniel said, keep everything. I don't want anything you've got, but I'll tell you what it means. And part of what it meant was, your kingdom is over, dude. It's finished. And he said, God has given it to the Medes and the Persians. That night, Belshazzar was killed. And The Medes and the Persians overtook Babylon, and the next kingdom came in. So Daniel was there to see one of his prophecies come to pass right in front of his eyes. Man, that's amazing to me. Then there's the next kingdom. The next kingdom described by arms of silver, that was the Medo-Persian. Then verse 39, after that kingdom has fallen, after the Medes and the Persians have come and gone... A third kingdom, represented by bronze or brass, will rise to rule the world. And that uh, the thighs of bronze represent the empire, empire of Greece, under Alexander the Great and his successors. The Greek empire overtook the Medes and the Persians. Daniel saw this coming and prophesied it, and he was dead when it came to pass. When the Greeks took it, he was gone. From after Alexander the Great's death, Greece was divided amongst his four generals and was plagued with civil wars, eventually to be swallowed up by the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of iron, the bad boy, the worst one, the one we're focused on tonight. Here's how Daniel describes it. Verse 40, following the Greeks, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush All previous empires, like iron, smashes and crushes everything it strikes. In verse 33, we find that the king's dream included information on the legs of this fourth kingdom, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, and partly of baked clay. Now, this is amazing, because only now does this this man, this thing that the king dreamed of, only now does it split into twos, two legs? And we know that Rome, when Western Rome finally collapsed, it split into two. And there were two. There was an Eastern Rome and a Western Rome. It split into two, just like the dream said. And now he gets to the feet and the toes. This is where we really need to focus tonight. He says, the feet and the toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom is going to be divided like iron mixed with clay. It won't be pure Rome. It's going to be partly like the old Rome of iron. It will have some of the strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be strong as iron, other parts of it will be weak as clay. The feet and toes. Consisting of iron and clay is a prediction that Rome would one day re-emerge after fading into history represented by the iron, yet it would not consist purely of Roman culture but would be a mixture of different cultures or what we love today to call multicultural. Multicultural. So when Rome resurrects, it won't be pure Rome. It'll be partly Rome represented by the iron. And it'll be partly clay represented by this mixture of different cultures within that resurrected Roman culture. Now stay with me. I know this can can leave you uh, behind a little bit, but follow me. Finally, Daniel adds one more thing that ought to excite every believer in here today. I want to read it to you. Daniel said, as you watched, O king, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. I'm going to read that again. A rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, the resurrected Rome, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on our threshing floor. But the rock, everybody say with me, the rock, Rock. that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Now, the stone cut without hands out of the mountain represents Jesus Christ, the solid rock upon which we stand. The rock of ages who's going to return, and this is the message of Revelation 17, who's going to return to destroy a one-world Gentile government headed by the Antichrist. In other words, in the end, we win. The rock cut out without human hands. In other words, the rock is God. Now follow me carefully. John's main point is that Antichrist is going to rise out of a revived Roman Empire. And Messiah Jesus will ultimately crush his kingdom at the close of the Great Tribulation. The revived Roman Empire is the eighth kingdom John speaks of in Revelation seventeen eleven. He says, the beast who once was, here it is, the beast, that's, that's Rome, the beast who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven, and he's going to his destruction. This eighth kingdom will be the Antichrist kingdom during the Great Tribulation. A revived, he's going to to appear, Antichrist is going to, to emerge out of a revived Rome in Europe. Now let me continue with this. He says, it'll possess ten horns. All that means is this. Ten nations, they will offer their allegiance to the Antichrist out of the revived Roman Empire. Ten nations will say, we're with you. We're going to help you. We're going to support you. We're going to uphold you. We're going to assist you. Verse 12, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast, that is, Antichrist. Verse 14, they'll make war against the lamb, but the lamb, the rock, will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers, that be you. All right? Now, it seems very plausible to me in light of this, that Antichrist is going to seize leadership of either the United Nations or the European Union. Now, I'm going to bring all this home to our day right now. I believe that based on John's prediction, that Antichrist is going to come out of a revived Rome, which is in Europe, which is Europe, That he's going to arise out of a revived Roman Empire in Europe that is going to be partly iron like the old Rome and partly clay, multicultural, many different cultures mixed into the same thing, which is interestingly to me, the cry and the hue of our day. Everybody in our day preaches multiculturalism. That's why our own government is trying to bring about a one world government and do away with America. because we don't want a nation that is sovereign, standing on its own. We want it to merge with everybody else, and let's be one great big worldwide happy family, which will be Antichrist's goal. So I'm going to say it again. It seems very plausible that Antichrist is going to seize leadership of either the United Nations or the European Union, and I personally suspect the European Union. And ten of its member nations are going to give their allegiance to him. Then let me ask you a question. Has Rome returned? Has it been resurrected? Like John said. The key point of chapter 17 is the reemergence of Rome, the scarlet beast, and of the great harlot, the apostate religious system that is carried by the beast and works with the beast to persecute and martyr the tribulation saints. Now, I'm going to suggest to you tonight, I don't know everything. I read this like you. But after really studying this and reading many different people on this, I'm going to suggest to you that I think it's very possible that the revival of the Roman Empire has in fact already begun in the European Union. Let me give you some background. Watch this. The the European Union, or what we will call the EU, started in 1948 through Belgium, Holland and Luxembourg. From there it grew to yes, 10 nations with the addition of Greece in 1981. It consists of more than 25 European nations as of 2015. The rest are associate members or have observer status. Now these stats are going to fluctuate with time, but it doesn't matter if it fluctuates. No, how, how many nations are in the European Union or not? It doesn't matter because what Daniel and John predicted is exactly what's going to happen. Ten of those nations will align with Antichrist and give their allegiance to him. Amen. Now let me look at some of the uncanny characteristics of the European Union. First, the EU has chosen as its symbol a woman riding atop a beast. We have that to put up there. That's their statue. That statue is located outside the EU office in Brussels. This is what the European Union chose. Now, remember John said, leave that up there. Listen to what John said. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. You know, I look at that and I go, huh, that could be coincidental or that could be prophecy fulfilled. Let me continue. The depiction of the same symbol was reproduced on the centenary stamp of the EU and in a huge painting in the Parliament's tower building in Brussels. There's the stamp. What do you see? A woman atop a beast. Exactly what John saw in a revived Roman Empire. He saw this in a revived Roman Empire. Amen. 21 centuries ago. Now, the f- next photo is the second election European Parliament postage stamp issued in 1984. Oh, it's the same one. That's the same one. Okay. And then you see the coin. Below, the same symbol. That's their symbol. And where was Rome to reappear? In Europe. The European Union. This is their symbol, what John saw. I'm just saying it's at least interesting, is it not? A woman riding a beast. You ought to know that the European Union is presently at the forefront of calling for Israel and the Palestinians to come to the peace table. It will be just such a peace negotiation according to Daniel 9, 26 to 27, out of which will come a seven-year peace treaty orchestrated by Antichrist. And the prophet Isaiah calls it a covenant made with hell. Isaiah twenty eight fifteen. let me read it to you. You boast, he says to Israel, You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death, with the realm of the dead. We have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it will not touch us. For we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. The lie and the falsehood is Antichrist. And they will have looked to him to bring peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And he will do it. He will do a seven-year peace treaty. And so Isaiah says, you're you're bragging having made a covenant with death. The prophetic word warns in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, flowing through Paul's pen. He says, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure... Then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. That's what's going to happen to Israel because for three and a half years they will be at peace. Peace, peace, we finally got peace. But then, three and a half years in, halfway through the tribulation, Antichrist will walk into the temple, declare himself to be God. He will turn on the Jewish people, he will turn on the Christians of the world. And all hell breaks loose from that moment forward. And there will be, says the word of God, no escape. The European Union's influence, and every time I say the EU, I want you to think revived Rome, is currently growing at a phenomenal rate. And it's clearly a candidate for Rome resurrected from the seeming dead. It may just be the scarlet beast with ten heads, but there's more. The EU has a parliament, the European Parliament, and it's the parliamentary side of the European Union. It's been described as one of the most powerful legislatures in the world. Everybody say with me, it exists now. I want you to catch that. It's now in Europe, now in Brussels, now. It has established a senior ranking high representative who has the power to call a council at any time and to execute emergency powers. One actual document, you can't make this up, one actual document of the European Union is entitled Recommendation 666. Recommendation, what, what does that mean? Recommendation, that's what really what it's called, 666 gives one person special emergency powers and the authority to act for the EU. Recommendation 666 gives one person totalitarian power to act for the EU. Recommendation 666. At the very least, this is interesting, for any student of prophecy, could Antichrist one day serve as the one person acting on behalf of the EU under recommendation 666. For this is the number of the beast, John told us earlier. This is the number of the beast. Now, there's more. Physically, the EU has an incredible building. It's a, it's a brand-new glass parliament building. There you go. That's the inside. And it looks like it's out of the space age. The seats of its massive hemicycle, meaning they are semicircular. You see that. It's kind of like this sanctuary but a whole lot bigger. Are designed like the crew seats in the Star Trek space machines. This is a very impressive building. You see all that? Now, the tower building houses the fifth parliament of Europe. The legislative amphitheater you were looking at, if we can just go back to that for a minute, it has 679 seats in it. Every one of those seats is assigned to a particular lawmaker. Every lawmaker in the EU gets his own seat. For example, as of this writing, seat 663 is assigned to Representative Suchet. Now that's as of this writing. It can change, and it doesn't matter if it changes. Seat 664 to Thomas Morrow, 665 to Zisner, and 667 to Representative Capato. But only one seat, as of this writing, remains unallocated and unoccupied. Seat 666. The relevant section of the seat, now somewhere, if we can go back to that picture for a minute, somewhere in there is seat 666. Can you believe that? It's interesting, at least. Now, the relevant section of the seating plan provided to each member reads as follows, and you can follow it right up there. Uh, It doesn't really matter, all these names, I can hardly uh, pronounce them anyway. Marciani, Montfort, Chiaro, Suchet, Maro, Zisner. You skip 666, you got 667. Gapato, Turco, Benino, Panella, Dupuy, Della Vedova. In 1999, Javier Solana became the high representative for the European Union's foreign and security policy. And through recommendation number 666, he was given emergency powers over the military wing of the European Union in the year 2000. What was he given? He was given totalitarian control over the EU's entire military. One man, recommendation 666, control. To wield that massive military power any way he wants. Now, he's been replaced since then, but it doesn't really matter. These names are going to come and go, shift and change. It's the position that's important. Will 666 the seat one day be occupied by Antichrist who will be bequeathed the powers of recommendation 666? And by that one mechanism... Because as I've told you in the past in this series, Antichrist comes on the scene suddenly. He seizes power suddenly. He, he steps onto the world stage out of nowhere. How, how could that happen? If you had somebody in that seat and he had the authority given to him for recommendation 666, he, he could suddenly exercise massive world control. Just using that one mechanism. I'm just saying it could be. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it could be. And and I can't believe that these things are there right now. Because I guarantee you there's going to be a revived Rome. I believe the EU is certainly part of that. EU has a building. They have chosen as their symbol a woman atop a beast. And they have built a building that has a 666 seat unoccupied and they have they have brought about a recommendation 666 that gives one person totalitarian control 666 666 woman atop a beast All that currently remains to create a truly revived Roman Empire is the creation of a permanent executive branch of government and the full integration of the new euro currency. I know we hear over and over again, oh, the euro is going to collapse. If you read tomorrow, the euro collapsed, don't pay any attention to it because in a night it can be resurrected. What's interesting to me is the euro is there. It's a currency. It's it's there, and it may be shaky. It doesn't matter because God's word is brought to, look what happened with Belshazzar, in one night, whole kingdoms shifted. With the introduction of the new European Constitution, the groundwork is being laid for just such an executive branch and economic system. The predictions of John's revelation are quite possibly being fulfilled right before our very eyes. The Antichrist's uh, seat may soon, very well, soon be occupied. The world primed for his full and final appearance. Now, what's ultimately going to happen? He'll be on the world stage for a brief time, seven years. At the end of those seven years, Jesus returns. The Lord will destroy him by the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. The coming of the Lord is near, but John's still not through. The amazed apostle is about to view the complete destruction of a future city called Babylon, and we're going to look at that next week because, hey, it's going to affect our nation. Amen. But is this not amazing tonight? Can we stand? <clears> they <throat> say, well, Jeff, are you looking for the appearance of Antichrist? No, I'm looking for the appearance of Christ. Yes. But I think that our world is in for some major, major, major shaking. And uh, thank God for those of us who are standing on that rock that was cut out of the side of the mountain without human hands. Can we lift our hands to the rock who is called Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your powerful word. Thank you for your amazing Bible. Thank you that you gave the Apostle John this amazing revelation. He never fully grasping at all that 21 centuries later we would be reading what he wrote down and preparing for the return of Christ. And so Lord, we just thank you right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus.